Yo, Hutch, get out of here. Oh, don't chase away Hutch. I give him so much love already. For people unfamiliar, Hutch is this dog that I dog sit pretty often. He's like the dog's adopted father. Correct. He's like the dog's stepfather. This is Making It Up, a podcast where we tell you what's happening in creative culture and why it matters. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Kan. We don't always have all the answers, but we try our best to reach a conclusion that adds value to the conversation. If you like this podcast, please share an episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. I would replace Eugene with Hutch. Whoa. So, you know, that's Whoa. where we are. Yeah. That's inappropriate. Is it? It would be an interesting change to this podcast dynamic. It would just be Sharice talking to a dog. We watched this video yesterday on, on the implications of how your dog sleeps and what it means. Okay. And then what does it mean for Hutch? So it means that if your dog sleeps on your clothes, that he loves you. So does he love you, Eugene? <laughs> he always sleeps on, uh, on top of my clothes. That's funny. Something to do with scent. All right, should we jump right into it? You go first. So my subject this week is about Animal Crossing New Horizons. I basically jumped at the chance to talk about it on this podcast. Can I ask you something? Yeah, go ahead. Is like, Do people refer to it as... Animal Crossing, Animal Crossing New Horizons, or just New Horizons? Like, how do you break down that I refer to it as ACNH. It gives no context. When you mentioned that, oh yeah, ACNH, I was like, what is that? And I had to kind of like piece together well, what it meant. Well, I'm responding to your question. If you don't like the answer, then like, you don't like the answer. That's, <laughs> that's... <laughs> hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. Anyways, okay, so back to that okay, point. Okay, so Animal Crossing New Horizons is a video game. Please go in-depth into what yes, Animal Crossing is. It's a video game exclusively available on the Nintendo Switch. It came out on March 20th of this year. It is a life simulation game. That's kind of the category of game it is. And it's actually the fifth title in the Animal Crossing series, which originally launched in 2001. And what other... Uh, platforms were they on before? They've just Nintendo all been platforms. Only Nintendo platforms. It is a Nintendo property, and it's like one of their staples, essentially. To give people an idea, in Animal Crossing, specifically New Horizons, you play as a human avatar, okay, and your role humanoid. is humanoid. Yes, as a humanoid, and your role is to be this resident representative. You move to this desert island. Or, sorry, you move to this deserted island, and then you gradually convert it into the island of your dreams. And you live amongst How big these is the like island? anthropomorphic island villagers. Um, how big is the island? Pretty big. So your island will have like shops and a museum and then all the villager homes and your home. And then you still have like room to make gardens and cafes and stuff like that. It's like a whole town. That all belong to you and are under your own design the and direction. The story is 
they don't belong to you. Like, you are not the owner of this island. Like I said, you are the resident representative of this island. But it's, like, your job in this game to, like, make your villagers happy. If you want to say that there's a job. But really, Animal Crossing is very open-ended. There's no penalty. You can't die. There's no really, like, end point, so to speak. And Can also, you get into arguments? Yes, and you can. This is so not related, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It is related because I want to know how realistic this you is. You can make villagers hate you. But your villagers are computer controlled. Yes, the villagers are NPCs. They are animals. NPC, explain what that is. Oh, I don't know what NPC stands for. NPC is just computer generated characters that you interact with and have full characterization. You've helped me out many times in the past. I'm going to Google this right now. Thank you. A non-player character. Oh, thank you. Non-player character. So you can make them hate you. You can make them love you. You can give them gifts. You can hit them, which sounds brutal. But it's like when you're using your tools, you can hit them and that will influence how they feel about you. Um, You can ask them to leave your village. You can also invite new animals to your village. Uh, But actually, that's not the key thing. I mean, some people are really into like their animal villagers. But probably if I would generalize the draw one is definitely like the getting to design your whole island bit Mm -hmm. and as a context i'm sure people are already thinking it but nintendo got really lucky with acnh launching during the time of the pandemic and it's not to say that like they planned for it 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 seems a little bit gosh to be like oh they benefited from this but they definitely did because i think the game in that situation where people were like staying in place and couldn't see their friends, it filled a void. And it's like a really mm-hmm. chilled out, not stressful activity that provides escapism and is also like incredibly wholesome. Like there's no, there's very little opportunity for things to become upsetting in the game. Why do you think it has caught on beyond the fact we are social distancing? What is the general sort of vibe that people get playing this game? in a non-social distance world, like in the previous four or five titles that released? Well, one thing is that gameplay has improved. That sounds so boring, but it's true. So if you were already an Animal Crossing fan, this version compared to the last version, there have been improved mechanics, like things are easier to do, the speed is nicer, graphics are nicer, so just like general game upgrade kind of things. In terms of appeal, I think, you know, there's a lot of games that are popular about like, fighting to some degree or like being against people even if you're in teams and then a lot of games also have like really intense storylines right so another big game Mm. that came out recently was death stranding by hideo kojima which is a masterpiece but it's like this completely different type of game i didn't send you the jacket the acronym jacket video that a fan made i'm i will be re-referring to an acronym thank you later in this episode But it's a totally different kind of game where there's like battle and then there's also like a storyline, right? Like you're very much in pursuit of this kind of end goal and Animal Crossing doesn't have that. So I think Animal Crossing appeals to not just gamers who are interested in like other types of games, but also gamers who are into those intense storylines. Like sometimes you need a break. Like there's been this discussion going on in the Macon Discord about Fortnite and Call of Duty. And actually one thought that I had was that even though on the surface there are these battle royale games or like these shooter games in general that are super popular 
I'm fairly certain that all gamers play more than one game. So they might stream a specific game, like they make, might make money off of one game, but most gamers play a variety of things. And then one thing that supplements like your diet, I guess, yeah, is so your downtime. Animal Crossing. I was also going to say that this, I was going to say, I should have said this at the top, but ACNH, besides being something I love, is objectively very popular. So they sold 5 million digital copies in its first month and they broke the console game record for most digital units sold in a single month. And I thought I'd and just add you, that in there to like make sure people yeah. know that this is real news and not just like, Sharice loves to play this game. <laughs> but also, <laughs> it's it's a unisex game, like in the sense that I would say most games in general have some sort of gender imbalance. It's like yeah. it generally leans towards one gender or the other. So there's been one thing about this game that I've been kind of saving to not say until right now, so we could kind of segue into this like next bit, which was gonna be about brands. And it's that Animal Crossing also has a social component. So you don't just play by yourself or with your villagers, but you can also play with your friends or strangers, like anyone else who has an Animal Crossing island. And so you can visit other people's islands, you can make custom designs and then share those designs. You can act basically very similar to real life where you can give people gifts you can uh, give them the opportunity to learn recipes that you have you can sell at each other's shops it's like a whole little ecosystem within the game and then the fact that unisex does make it feel more like the actual face-to-face -face interactions you have because you can have all of the same like your entire social circle could potentially be enjoying yourselves like enjoying mm -hmm. your company within the game yeah got it so there is an article that i'm supposed to be talking about it's from the drum. yeah we went in a big circle whole circle but i feel like it was necessary so there's an article that came out in the drum and it's about how uh the game has become this place for brands and companies to demonstrate creative marketing strategies whether they think of them as marketing strategies or not they could become that essentially as I mentioned, you can make custom designs in Animal Crossing. And the sharing capability is quite good. Like the way you can share those designs with other people. And it's like, it's essentially open source. So if I make a design, I can make that code available online and then everyone else can also download it for free. And like mm -hmm. add it to their repertoire of designs. So folks are making, so folks are replicating brand name clothing in game there are examples but almost doesn't even bear like saying it's really like every type of brand name clothing has been recreated but i was going to call out the acronym j1agt jacket which is the one featured in death stranding and it's been recreated in the game in really high detail and you actually first of all it's really expensive to buy the real thing and it was almost two grand or yeah, like 1900 i want to say yeah USD and also it's sold out so you couldn't get it anyway but now you can all wear it as your avatar other examples a hundred thieves has its whole apparel line in the game high snobiety has their apparel lines up um, our friends at yeti out made some of their apparel I saw within yep. the game all this is within the game and also giving some non clothing examples Yeti art made an AC art generator so you could take those designs like of fine art and then you can put them up in the walls of your home, for example. So basically 
if you just think about that custom design element of the game, brands and、mm-hmm. companies can use that custom design element to make anything pertinent to their brand. So we could release our merch line on、mm-hmm. Animal Crossing, or we could we could make you know like our make in fabric. We could recreate that as a print in Animal Crossing,、yep. and then apply、yep. it to any surface essentially within the game. What happens when it's so accessible? Like it's quite difficult, I think, to recreate your designs into the game. From what I understand, I was talking to actually Subis from Yeti Yeti Out, who were in the process of doing it. It's like a process of literally moving pixels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not like you scan a piece of art into your console. Like you actually you have to recreate have to it. Yeah. yeah. The, I guess the thing is, is that given there's so much out there and there's it's so accessible because it's all free, right? Yeah. And it contributes to your character. Does it fundamentally go against why these things are desirable in the first place in a physical realm? It is really interesting because Nintendo, as a company, very rarely does. Brand collaborations. So, Death Stranding acronym is a great example of a clothing brand and a video game company collaborating in a way where they both of them are making like money off of this collaboration. And I would suspect—I don't know this for sure—but I would imagine that money also exchanged hands between acronym and Kojima Productions in order to like make that collaboration a thing. Or something, some kind of deal was struck into their exclusive property and having it be what it is. They also don't really have to do collaborations, so they could. They could make it that they、uh, collaborated with what's a good brand example? Let's just say Chanel. They could collaborate with Chanel and then make like Chanel clothing and. Accessories, etc., available in the game, but only for real money. That that's totally a doable thing, right? Or they could really jack up the in-game money cost because there's in-game money, right? And then you can't. I was just gonna say they could add a microtransaction ability where you have to, you where you can pay real money to get the in-game money, but that doesn't exist in the game. Like that's not something they've ever done. You just earn it by selling turnips. Completely. No, there are other ways to make money. That's the only way to make money. Is the quickest way. I feel like this is a whole side pro- side conversation, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It's called the turnip stock market, and so on Sundays you buy turnips, and then throughout the week the turnip cost, like the buyback price, changes twice a day, and so you check the price to find out. When you should sell your turnips, like the stock market. Anyway, irrelevant. All of this to say is like, got it. Nintendo doesn't do brand collaborations. They're fans of being open source. The community is very much about like sharing and bartering, and not like keeping things behind closed doors. I think it's great、mm-hmm. as an ecosystem for brands to be playing within because. They really do have to think about how are we engaging with these gamers in a way that is not really transactional, is more awareness or being a part of people's gameplay in a way that's like meaningful to them, instead of like trying to drive people to 
buy something from you. Do you think that in a non-socially distanced world, Animal Crossing will continue to be as popular as it is now? I don't think it will continue to be as popular as it is now. Also, obviously, there will be a drop-off as people have been like playing for over a month now. And then people will check in less, right? But I think there is... There's no penalty. Yeah, what happens if you don't check in regularly? Animal Crossing players will keep playing a little bit. But right now, where they might be playing every day, they might play every three or four days you know but i still think that there's opportunity here when we talk about companies and brands or even individuals to so i've seen besides what brands are doing i've also seen individuals like our friends at good you're gonna have to correct me good company good tea company good tea company our friends at good tea company hosted a tea tasting within the game so you could get the invite to the island to all sit around and have virtual tea, which I thought was very clever. And I've also seen individual illustrator and artist friends hold exhibitions within the game. So they make little kind of gallery openings, essentially, with work that is recreations of their work in real life. And then also you sent me a link to a Sandy Lang pop-up shop. So there's still, there's still things that can be explored, I think, when it comes to, let's not say it's like brand or company relationships. I think it's more about like, there, you can still use this game as an extension of the things you do in real life. Like it doesn't just have to be this like idealized, separate escape. Mm-hmm. There's also interesting applications when you bring in like what you do yeah. within the game. I don't know what that would exactly look like for Megan. That's yeah, kind of what I was yeah. thinking right now, like as an exercise. I, I've been thinking a lot about how community spaces exist in a digital sphere when there is no gaming component. Like I think that it that's the one thing that in, in light of that, if you don't have, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, what do you, I don't know, that's the thing. I don't know the game well enough to know if five of your friends are together. Well, online at the same time what do you guys go and do itself you could do things like plants like you could plant things you could fish you could catch bugs no but do you need do you need a few of you guys to do it like you need a team of five that's what i'm saying it's like what's the difference between me hopping on a on house party or getting on animal crossing like what is the inherent value of doing it in the world that is animal crossing if the connect if the goal is to connect and just like catch up or whatever. I think Animal Crossing does do better in the sort of example you're setting up if your interactions are revolving around some kind of product. So if you'll notice like all of our examples are like about clothing or art or tea, just some sort of item, right? And the reason why Animal Crossing is better for gathering in that regard Mm -hmm. is you can make this sort of in-game replica or like in-game representation of that item, which in this social distancing world like makes sense Mm -hmm. because I can't actually physically go to like my friend's exhibition or like they can't even hold it. Whereas house party Mm -hmm. or other social gathering places are a lot about like text, I guess. Like if, if you boil it down, it's like, the mm-hmm. the interaction is voice or text based, but then in Animal Crossing you have an actual avatar that interacts with objects 
This is like really stripping things down to like base parts. But like, like there's no exact way of interacting yeah. with clothing in a virtual space like Animal Crossing, which sounds like a weird thing to come out of my mouth, but I think is true. It's kind of ironic that the thing that sold out, the $1,900 jacket that yeah. sold out is But it's, it's also limitless. really great. Like, I think it's also nice, like, brands are not, they're not angry about it because it's a very closed world. I think the, the general sentiment is that there will be some sort yeah. of greater identity yeah. building online and in digital worlds, right? But how does fashion play into it when fashion inherently has always been tied to some level of scarcity? Yeah. And there is no scarcity in the digital world. Yeah. In this current in this current type of setup, it doesn't mean that in other worlds there aren't, but like in general. The way you make custom designs in Animal Crossing takes some effort. So if anything, having particular pieces of clothing channels the fact that you put in effort if you were the original creator. But then because the sort of the gamer community around Animal Crossing is so open source and friendly, then people share all of their custom designs. You could, in theory, not share your custom designs. You could just make the acronym jacket and keep it for yourself and just wear it and like, I guess, yeah. be proud of the fact that you're wearing it. But that seems like against the ethos of that. Yeah, it's not in line with the way people play the game. This is like the, the I've brought this up before, but this is the issue that arises between fashion and tech yeah. right tech just generally operates on scale yeah. and network effects whereas fashion is about scarcity which is why i think tech people don't really understand the brand building component of fashion because it's it's not like it's actually wired that way but they're just wired differently like they think differently like they know that the achievement of their goals happen in a different way. I feel like it would be remiss of me to be talking about this subject and not mention our friend Kara Chung. So Kara started a Instagram called Animal Crossing Fashion Archive, and it's kind of blown up in, in like it, both in Animal Crossing related subjects and then also in streetwear related subjects because it mainly features like streetwear in animal crossing oh, nice and she's been interviewed by a few places actually about like why fashion has become important within animal crossing so if anything she would be like more knowledgeable on this subject than either of us for scarcity and fashion to have some level of traction there has to be this sweet spot so if something is too obscure where it's not part of the popular culture lexicon then it fails to do its job so you kind of need to find that balance point because i could have something that is you know the most rare the most scarce jacket out there but if no one knows about it or no one understands uh the story behind it then it doesn't achieve necessarily its goal like yes there's i think there's ways of looking at it. like i think identity building could fall between both internal and external factors is like, hey, I'm wearing this because I, you know, I've, I'm rewarding myself, or this is the quality that of a piece I want to, uh, I want to yeah. wear, and it's what I'm deserving of. I'm, I'm making that up, but like, there's that. But then the other side is like, how do I derive some social currency from the outside world who see me wearing this? Like I said, those yeah. shoes could be, you know, the most hype things. Yeah. But if they're not part of this common yeah. language, 
then it kind of falls flat on its face. That's one thing I've seen relatively more recently is that the common language was always there in terms of streetwear. But the difference now is that there's been more access. So you've brought it into the realm of accessibility. This thing of accessibility is so, how do I put this? It's it's so relative, right? Like I think that most people now, like the accessibility to get a pair of Yeezys is yeah. far different than what a rare sneaker was 10 years ago. It's more more so that right now we're more, op- we're more open to yeah. more people having things part of the language versus in the past, like we still knew the language but the accessibility was different. Like I was talking to someone and, you know, back in the day, like mm-hmm. limited would be like 300 pairs or less. And now I'm, you think limited is probably 3000 pairs, like 10 times the amount of shoes. I'll be at the, the general population of people that are buying shoes has probably increased more than tenfold. I mean, I think you so see this I'm not, play there's out no perfect math there. in Animal Crossing because in terms of speaking this language and then showing people that you speak that language that definitely exists beyond within the switch because people share screenshots on Instagram. So if they're wearing certain clothing and then they're taking and sharing screenshots, then that still has the same effect of signaling whatever it is that you're trying to signal. And it is kind of nice because with the open accessibility, then it does come down to like, I mean, I'm not trying to say that you have to be a knowledgeable, like in the know person, but removing the barrier of the cost of items then you get to try to find or make the pieces you're into and put together looks and even photo shoots. Like people are doing in-game photo shoots that I guess use your knowledge and don't require you to like spend any money. I mean, besides the obvious, let's, we have to acknowledge like there is a cost in a console and a game, but there's no additional cost for individual items. Do you think there's the opportunity for something to start as a dope design in Animal Crossing and then cross over into the real oh, world. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think so. Because people also make, people can also make totally Interesting. custom designs. I like, wasn't expecting yeah, that answer. Yeah, they're not blowing up online as much, but people make, I like them, like really cute sweaters and dresses and things. I dress differently as an avatar. Yeah. How do you dress? Um, I'm more experimental. This is weirdly like personal, but like, I am way more experimental with like clothing and looks that I do than I am in real life. And maybe also because there's no environmental cost. Why so is I that? I can buy as much clothing as I like. Like there's also a clothing ah, shop in the game. Like you don't just have to wear custom designs. Like there's or, a clothing shop. And it, yeah. I love that I can buy as much clothing in the clothing shop and then change clothes like twice a day. And it doesn't. It has not resulted in any additional physical material. But you do feel that it has some sort of impact on like your identity and how people yeah, perceive you in the game when they see you dressed a certain way. How close does your avatar look to you in real life? I feel like you should be the judge of that because I sent you a screenshot. Uh, I think it looks like me. I know. I saw that. And I was like, oh, that doesn't no, really look like, like you. it's just like perspective. There's, there are fewer options than like, you know, Apple ID, like those me stickers. So you cannot, you can't really change your face shape, which makes a big difference. That's why basically everyone looks very similar. The glasses makes a big difference, in my opinion, for my avatar in making it look like me. As a last thought, what I did like about the drum article, which we have barely referenced, is that they also made suggestions for other interesting applications. So they suggested that like, if you were a bank, 
then you could concentrate on just generating bells, which is the in-game currency, and then offering that to players. Or if you were like a wedding agency, then you could just make islands that are like perfect wedding ceremony spots and then have invite people to come and use those. Or if you're a restaurant, you can make like restaurant mascots or like even your replicas of your menu and your restaurant branding. So I really like that idea as well, like moving beyond. I mean, I, I think for the two of us, like fashion's always easy to talk about and like those implications. But I think it's also just like a low hanging fruit in Animal Crossing because it's really obvious that you can like custom design clothing. So it would be really interesting to see how other like, you know, yeah. banks are not particularly like sexy as a company or a brand. Like, could they enter the game and then become like sort of gamer favorites for whatever reason? I think this episode is kind of funny because we wound up deciding to talk about two things that we are doing in our leisure time and it's almost like we ran out of like corona related cultural things to talk about that aren't like doom and gloom and because we don't like go outside into the world very much we went with like virtual activities there's no shortage of things i'm interested in but there are a shortage of things that i want to talk about on this podcast without sounding like a broken record and or falling out of the realm of creative culture yeah so it is, there's a scope. And funny enough, we did manage to find two things this week that are related in that we were interested in these things separately from anything else, like as things we just enjoy doing. All right. Tell us what your subject is, Eugene. This is not necessarily referential to any article so much as that it's just recently premiered and that's michael jordan's the last dance documentary produced by espn one of the big reasons why i wanted to pick this topic for this episode is because it's episode number 123 so that must be a sign for something underlying thesis is that this will go down as bar none the greatest docuseries of all time i mean you could say is it just for sports, I, but I just think in general, I think it's probably one of the most captivating pieces of media that we'll experience in our lifetime. And it doesn't matter if you like sports or not. I think that's one of the most important things. And the same thing with Animal Crossing. I think that it has this level of, I mean, first you need to obviously be into games, right? Into gaming, but you also, it's just doesn't fall within the realm of a, what most people classify as a type of game like it's not a shooter it's not a sports game it's just like a very different type of accessible platform if you're not familiar with the last dance it's it was i think bar none the most highly anticipated docuseries ever when it came out like the first trailer was what 2018 and it sounds weird because it's there was such a big lag between when that first trailer came out in 2018 and now and the premise behind it is that it follows Michael Jordan's last season with the Chicago Bulls in 1997-1998. And it was after this that MJ retired, uh, left basketball for a period of time. And they had collected over 500 hours of footage just following him and the team. And they're basically sitting on this footage because for the over the course of the end of that season, and I think it was 2016, MJ kept denying the release and or creation of a documentary. Right. So from 1998, which was the last season, 
through 2016, he was uninterested in having anything happen with it. Yeah, so basically 18 years. Yeah. And then finally, Mike Tolan, uh, an American- That's not the right math on that. Uh, 28? What are you talking about? Are you talking about when, when the last season versus- Oh, wait, yo, 98 to 2016. Sorry, my bad math. Never mind. Please cut that uh, out. So Sharice just did really bad I was like, wait, what? Online. I thought maybe you, anyways, how dare you try to challenge my math skills? Oh, I regret. So Mike Tolan is an American director, producer, and he's done a bunch of sports related shows. And then he's also the co-chairman of Mandalay Sports Media. So safe to say he has a ton of experience producing sports related shows and whatnot and movies. And he, I think in many ways, like looking at his CV, he was probably the perfect person to do this and yeah. probably a good reason why MJ trusted him to do this. This was actually supposed to premiere later this year, but because of obviously COVID-19, it got pushed Wait, ahead. Wait, that's not obvious. I don't think that's obvious because a lot of things got pushed back. You don't think so? Right? Like, well, just because of production. Oh, that's a good point, because actually. Because people are working remotely. Guess what I'm trying to say is that because, like, not often do things get pushed forward, but when you heard why they pushed it yeah. forward, it made sense because yeah. they're I mean, trying it makes to sense fill that a they gap. Did it. I just don't think it's like apparent sense. because it would kind of be like, wait, how did they put it together? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And the the way I look at it too is that certain services or industries have done well on the basis that they they play well with a work from home slash social distancing type of lifestyle. Like streaming oh yeah that's another theme connection between the two of our subjects yeah yeah did you want to say why espn decided to move it forward yeah as you know sports live sports all that stuff has essentially been canceled since you know everything broke out um and as this is what espn said as society navigates this time without live sports viewers are still looking to the sports world to escape and enjoy a collective experience that's kind of interesting because collective experience is kind of what I was alluding to in the fashion realm, right? Without a collective like understanding or experience, it's hard for you to fully grasp yeah. the the importance of something. Um, but continuing on, we've heard the calls from fans asking us to move up the release date for this series, and we're happy to announce that we've been able to accelerate the production schedule to do just that. This project celebrates one of the greatest players and dynasties ever, and we hope it can serve as a unifying entertainment experience to fill the role that sports often play in our lives, telling a story that will captivate everyone, not just sports fans. So this is where I lead into like why I think this is bar none the best docu-series of all time. Like it's, I'm always consumed by things that can only happen at a point in time because it's just the perfect intersection of culture, technology, everything yeah. in that it won't necessarily be able to be replicated and the reason why the last dance falls within that is that first i mean this, this is a list kind of like i'm spitballing as i go but here you have probably if you say michael jordan's yeah. the best player of all time no one's really going to doubt you versus like i think other sports there's always contenders different eras etc but michael yep. jordan i think bar none is like considered the best player of all time he emerged at a time when there was no social media, which meant there was much more secrecy and privacy around people's lives, which makes that 500 hours of footage that much more valuable. It's not like you're in the arena and you know every single person has a smartphone yeah. and anytime MJ gets the ball, people are hitting record. I think the honesty and, and uncensored nature of it, which that's more of a creative decision. That's not really based on but it does this 
it particular is related to what you said about uh, subject, a right? Not replicable um, experience or an item because of Mike Tallin and his team's work. You could say having him and his team mm-hmm. brought together in whatever confluence of like creativity to make this is also something unique. I also think there's a level of political incorrectness that mm-hmm. was much more acceptable in that era that they played, right? And that's not what you can expect today, right? That the style of NBA basketball yeah. today versus the past is way different. So actually, if you if you watch it, I know you haven't watched it, but if you watch it, you realize that MJ putting up 60 points in that era is probably yeah. a lot more difficult than 60 points in today's era. Well, I also didn't have to watch that to know that bit of fact. But what I was going to say is that I think we're talking about two layers of unique history. There's like what happened in 97, 98, which you've talked about, which happened in a very specific situation that allowed for this footage to be to exist and be as special as it is. And then there's also this layer of uniqueness about like this time right now it being created in 2020 and released in 2020. I think you might want to walk that back because I don't think it was and it's like, created in 2020 because the first trailer came out in 2018, so they were already working oh, on it. Well, what it... I can say it. And then there's that other layer of it being created 10... Wait, how many years is it? Oh, am I so bad at math? What? Okay, let me try it. And then there's that other layer of it being created in this contemporary in the last two years and then released at this specific moment in... The pandemic so it's like double whammy in a sense like there's that mm. uniqueness of the 97 98 season and then also the uniqueness of its release right now yeah and th- the last point i also want to make is that during jordan's era of media consumption it was so different because live sports were such a great draw versus now yeah i don't really need to watch a sports game like there's so much media that I can still get the essence of a game through House of Highlights, right? Like the Instagram accounts that are out there, the YouTube highlight recaps, all that stuff. So there's such media fragmentation that we can't concentrate all eyes on singular events like we did in the past, which is why I think everyone's experience with MJ is arguably so much stronger than it is now. I was listening to a, a Bill Simmons podcast and he said, there's only two people that could create the same level of draw, and it would be uh, MJ and Muhammad Ali. I, I, is there anyone else? Maybe it's Muhammad Ali. Is there anyone else that there would be this kind of anticipation for 20 years after they played to go, okay, we get like this 10-parter, and it feels like anyone connected to sports is not only excited about it, but is also talking about it. Because that in itself is a thing. Like, I don't know what else could reach this. Well, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's him and Ali. That's it. It is, right? That's the whole point. It was him and Ali. And LeBron is not in that level of the conversation. He's just not. I'm not having a conversation with Bill Simmons, but I respectfully disagree on Muhammad Ali. I just think that he emerged in an era that was too disconnected from the modern era. And I think the one thing that actually drives... Michael Jordan's lineage into this generation and beyond is the fact he still has product that we can acquire at any given moment in time through Air Jordans. There's nothing to do with Muhammad Ali like that would allow me to have a piece of that. Like he's not even probably this generation's most well-known boxer. Like I don't, I'm, I'm a, I loosely follow boxing, but I think that he's not the person that comes to mind. Isn't it? Well, I mean, I think you're talking about how Michael Jordan 
but and ESPN acknowledges this as well, is not just for sports fans. It was really like this global cultural force. So it didn't matter if you liked basketball or not. Like you still knew and respected who Jordan was slash is. Of all the sports that span the globe, the two yeah. biggest ones are soccer, football, and basketball. So that's another reason why it's so impactful. Like boxing itself doesn't have the same level of cultural influence yeah, that I am in basketball or, or football or soccer will have. Also within soccer, to go back to why there's no individual talent that will be to the same level, I just think there's too much fragmentation. There's too many world-class leagues yeah. that speak and all the players speak different languages versus you're all unified nba in the united yeah. states english speaking that's all you need to know i mean not to say that sports themselves need languages and words associated with them but it's just english itself is just an easy to it's like the language most people sort of gravitate towards and have perhaps some sort of relationship with when it comes to popular culture so i have a question for you how do you think the last dance being released in this moment might have hit different than if it had been released in a non-pandemic world. There's just so much focus on it, in my opinion. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I wonder if I'm in a bubble. I probably am. My bubble being that I associate myself with the world of sports, and then there's the overlap with sort of the streetwear sneaker world, but. Anyone that's okay. talked about it has been part of my demographic, right? And it's almost like for sure a discussion. And I don't think my quote unquote demographic is that small. But just to give you an example, like I was doing a little bit of research beforehand and I'm just pulling up this, uh, this thread on Reddit. Yeah, like there's this one discussion thread uh, on The Last Dance on Reddit and there's 8,000 comments, which is crazy. And- just to give you context, there's only 1,000 sort of upvotes, but 8,000 comments. How's the reception been, just out of curiosity? I didn't, I didn't actually look too much into it, but I think for the most part, everyone has... I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about it. We're only four episodes in, so I think that maybe that there was the argument on the Bill Simmons podcast that potentially because it's so long... I mean, is this story that good that it can exists as a 400 minute documentary basically because you know about 40 to 47 minutes 10 episodes 470 minutes or so or you know would it or should it have been shorter i guess we'll have to wait and see well i think one thing that's really nice is that it's that recreation of focus like you said like taking advantage of the fact that you know there's no live sports so and the fact that they're releasing episode by episode so people are actually tuning in and like having this conversation. I think there's one sort of unifying thread with a lot of people that are the greatest within the realm of sports. I mean, I maybe it's not even just sports. I think there's some sort of illogical approach to the sport or the activity in which one questions how and why they care so much. And I think that you're trying to continually uncover that with Jordan as to like, why is winning so important? Right. And what are the sacrifices one has to go through to both have that mentality and to sustain themselves? Like it's you actually saw this a lot when Kobe passed away because all the interviews basically drove back to that one point. He was so competitive. He was so competitive. 
Oh, you just made me really sad. Yeah. When you watch and listen, it's like, basically, Kobe is like the second coming of Jordan in terms of, people might disagree because I don't really follow basketball to that same extent, but like, I think there's a lot of similarities in, wh- in the way he emulated Jordan. And that in itself is probably the the sort of connective thread there. Well, one thing I think that you're getting into with Jordan is that it's not just about the game itself, but even though I haven't watched The Last Dance, I imagine there's a lot about the human psyche. And that's also what's fascinating is that you're not just understanding, you're not just looking at a sports story, but you're also trying to understand like this person. And I also understand why Jordan as a person might not have really wanted to move forward with the documentary because it's like really getting into something very, I don't know what it might reveal about him essentially, or maybe he was uncomfortable with that idea as well. I'm just projecting, but that's what I think like having a 10 series documentary is like going to get into, right? It's like the person itself. Another commonality I kind of see between our two subjects is that I would argue, though obviously this is very subjective, that we managed to find like very genuinely enjoyable collective experiences. And I think everyone is looking for whatever that is to them right now. Like at this point where we've been in, you know, it's May Mm. practically. And it's been a couple months now of adjusting to many changes on very many different levels. And so being able to find like nice things to enjoy with like a large group of people is it's just so it's great. Yeah. That's all. I I will say there is pushback against the Jordan Last Dance documentary because it just feels like a big running ad for ESPN and Michael Jordan. Right. And but I guess in this capacity, this is we've talked about this before. It's just like this is not medical news, a medical documentary. It's not political. It's just really about sport and entertainment. And yeah. I've talked about this before. I think we generally give it a bit more of a pass in this capacity. Yeah. Obviously I'm not super emotional, but like when I watched the Dennis Rodman one, I was like, man, it brought me back to when I was, you know, 14 years old reading his biography. It was the first biography I ever read. And it just made me remember because when I play sports, like I'm I'm a goalkeeper, right? So obviously defense mm-hmm. is like my priority. And I think that reading Dennis Rodman's take on defense and his philosophy actually empowered me and or made becoming the best defender on the field or on the pitch or whatever, like something you wanted to strive for. Because he was so contrarian, right? Everyone else wanted to score and wanted to be the star. He really just wanted to be the dude that played the best defense because you recognize the role. I think defense feels very much in line with my personality because there's a level of selflessness there where you're like, you know you won't get the <laughs> the attention or the credit, right? But, you, but it's yeah. kind of the glue or the gel that holds everything together. No, I'm glad to hear it as well. I mean, clearly it taps into something nostalgic for people as well. Which is why I think even if it is an ad, it's generally way more permissible. I don't find it that... Of, I mean, I haven't watched it, so it's hard for me to say. You do plan to watch it though, right? I do plan on watching it. If people are saying that it's an ad for ESPN and Michael Jordan, I kind of feel like, isn't that obvious? Like just by releasing it, it already is that. Whether like an ad or not, but it is by ESPN and Jordan. So I don't know. That just seems apparent to me. It would be more awkward if it was like an ad for Coca-Cola, like as an example. Anything else? No, that's everything. So this is kind of like a one-off. This is more of a shout out to all our patrons. Is it patrons, Patreons, Patreon supporters? What are we going with? Patrons. It's patrons to date. All right. 
Yeah, these, this shout out to all our patrons to date that have supported us. We won't do this every single week, but since we've never done it before, we're just going to run through the whole list while it's still manageable, the 50-some people that are supporting us. Also, we're super grateful. Yeah, exactly. So big thanks to our patrons, Gavin, Allison, Kazim, Emmerline. I said that right? Emmerlyn, Catherine, Cece, Nabil, Jenny, Sebastian, Daniel. Continued thank you to Oren, Justin, Erwin, Christina, Colleen, Jessica, Sydney, Nikita, Kevin, and Andrew. Followed by Nabil, Brad, the 3D Cobbler, Gagan, Kirabul, Kirabul, Lars, Gerald, Tom, Eric, Laura, Brian. More thanks to Jaff, Court, Alfonso, Frankie, Seth, Jordana, Keith, Martin, Josephine, Shord, Stuart, as he said in Discord. And Nathan. All right, almost to the end here. Kevin, Tina, Minnow, Jeremy, Ran, Mick, Unlike You, Shanique, Kevin, Jack, Aladar. And the last four, huge thank you, Corrado, David, Jordan, and Spencer. Thanks a lot, guys. It means a lot to us. Thank you to everyone. I think that's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes, sharing this podcast with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Yep. You can go to patreon.com slash Macon. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Charisse at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Charisse. And this is Making It Up.